It is great to be here this evening. I just want to start off first. I think it's probably a good idea if you're married to probably go on the marriage retreat. It looks like that might be a good thing to do according, if that's really how it works out, is how they showed it in those videos. I think it's really uh, probably a good idea to be able to, to do that. And then also, definitely want to point out uh, thanks to all of you up here that were playing uh, guitar, bass, drums, singing. You guys were extremely sold out. That's not, I'm not just taking that from the video. I mean, seriously, that was, that was awesome. I mean, you guys were really anointed on the, the, the guitar. And, and, but really, uh, you guys really, uh, I love um, the way that you guys worship and, and carrying on. Uh, and it's definitely a blessing to be here tonight. I'm glad that uh, each and every one of you are here tonight. I don't think it's any accident that we are all together in this place at the same time. Uh, the past few weeks we've been going through a sermon series as I look out the back that is a big religion and a no. Uh, we've been going, going through a sermon series, um, Losing Your Religion. And tonight's talk is about the trap of religion. And so that video is kind of just that message of, you know, Christianese. We can, we can get into a trap of <clears throat> seeming like we're in a religion. So if you have your Bibles... Um, Go ahead and pull those out and open up to Matthew 12. We're going to be in Matthew 12 this evening. Um, looking at a story of how Jesus talked about uh, and assessed this religion. And now we talked with um, some religious people, the Pharisees. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and take them out. And we're going to be in Matthew 12, um, starting out there. So if, you'll, if not, you can read up on the screens with us. Um, so we're just going to kind of start off and just kind of go through things. But basically, this is the story of Jesus kind of going through uh, his ministry. Uh, he was going, walking around, carrying out his daily life. And we pick up here at a time where Jesus is walking through uh, the grain fields on the Sabbath. So at that time, we are in Matthew 12, verse 1. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. And so if you guys know what the Sabbath is, the Sabbath is a Jewish uh, time on the end of the week um, that was set up in uh, the Ten Commandments and, and really set up really at the beginning of time where God created the day, the six day, created creation in six days and on the seventh day he rested. And in Exodus uh, chapter 20 verses 8 through 11 we see the, the Ten Commandments um, we see this, this section of the Ten Commandments being pulled out. And so this is kind of giving us an idea of what the Sabbath is. And so when we see the Ten Commandments, this is the laws set up um, by God for the, the Jewish people, God's people, um, to follow. And so we, w- here we are reading one of the commandments. It says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Uh, six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath day to the Lord your God. And on it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son, or your daughter, nor your male and female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your town. So we definitely get the message that we're not supposed to do any work, amen? No work on Sabbath day. That's kind of the message that we get. And so that gives us a little uh, idea of where we're at. And so here we are on the, the Jewish Sabbath day, which would be Saturday, and Jesus is walking through the grain fields. And so at that time, we are told to, to be remembering, to, to keep this day holy, to give it an honor to God, because as it was set up, and we see uh, in the, the dawn of creation, six days that God took, uh, that God made um, creation, all of creation, the heavens and the earth, the, the animals, the plants, and human beings. And on the seventh day, 
he rested. And so we're supposed to follow in that example and on the seventh day rest. And so here we are and we're, we're, we're walking along and we see Jesus is apparently um, maybe not resting. But we continue on uh, in verse 1 there that it says that while they're in the grain fields and it is on the Sabbath day, in, in Matthew 12 verse 1, uh, we are still on, in the Sabbath day. Uh, and we're, we're discovering that uh, his disciples were hungry and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. And before I get there, one thing I'm always reminded of when I think of the Sabbath day is as a college student, I'm going through tireless hours of work, schoolwork, homework, uh, going to class, uh, doing other work, uh, and just doing carrying about my day. And I come to the night and I'm trying to, to get things done. And I'm finding that my body is weak and that I can't uh, find any rest. And, and really, this is reminding me of exactly what the Sabbath day is and exactly why we need rest. Is because we are weak and our strength comes from God. It reminds me of Psalm verse 4, 8. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone are Lord. O Lord, make me dwell in safety. And that verse to me reminds me that um, the, the day of Sabbath and at night, it's both times of rest that we're resting in God, that we're resting in the Lord, that He is the one that we uh, get all of our strength from. And so with that in mind, we have this idea of what the Sabbath day is. And then we continue in verse 1 now that they're walking through, His disciples were hungry and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. And just so you know, it's very uh, key that they are in a grain field and this is where they're hungry, and this is where they're eating. Because uh, in Old Testament time, in Levitical law, uh, Leviticus uh, actually mentions um, twice in, in Leviticus how uh, one of the laws that they had was to leave part of their field open. And so we see in Leviticus 9.9, it says, when you, reap your harvest, when you reap the harvest of your land, leave some, uh, leave some of the, the field and your, the gleanings of your harvest. And you maybe ask, why? Why would you do that? Why would you not reap everything? Why would you just leave some to be? And then we see in, verse, uh, in chapter 23 of Leviticus where it says, when you reap the harvest, it says the same thing. Harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Leave them for the poor and for the foreigner residing among you. I am the Lord your God. And so now we get this idea, okay, so we're in this time and we're actually in a place where Jesus and his disciples are hungry, and they're in the grain fields, and they're actually walking through a time of what may or may not, it's debated, it seems to be debated, uh, as whether or not they're allowed to eat from these grain fields. And sure enough, um, there's some guys that come up, the uh, Pharisees, um, that, that come along and say, whoa, what's going on here? And so we see in Matthew 12, uh, verse 2, uh, when the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. Yet we just saw in Leviticus that the laws were set up to give some room for the, young, the, the, the people that are poor to be able to eat from the grain. And so there's kind of a debate. You're trying to figure out what's going on. Uh, and just a little background on the Pharisees. If you guys don't know who the Pharisees are, they're actually a, 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 a sect of the Jews who strongly believed in uh, trying to search after God. They were, they were trying to pursue God with all their heart, with all their mind, with all their soul. They were trying to do everything right. And they were trying so hard, almost too hard, that they actually set up 248 commandments and 
365 prohibitions to keep them from even coming anywhere close to the first ten, the Ten Commandments. And so they're setting up these walls and these, these fences around uh, what they're doing so they don't even come close to breaking the, the first ten commandments. And because of this, they think that you know, they are so righteous and they're doing the right thing that they also believed that the day of resurrection was only for the righteous. And so they had a position in their mind that by their actions and by what they do, they're able to receive salvation, that they're able to uh, be at the day of resurrection. And by setting this up, uh, they had this idea of what it is, how it is they're supposed to carry out their life. And this is where we see religion come into play, in that these Pharisees are very religious people that they think that they're doing the right things, that they're trying to do the right things, they're trying to move after themselves, but their, their motives are wrong. They set up a way to, they, they start from the outside, whereas Jesus starts from the heart. The law was intended to serve God's people, rather than God's people being intended to serve the law. And that's where the Pharisees are at. They're, they're thinking, hey, we need to serve the law. We need to follow these commandments. We need to follow all these things so we don't break these other commandments. And yet God's saying that's not what the reason uh, that we made these laws for, that God made the laws uh, for the people. It's so that, that the, uh, the, the laws would be a service to God's people, not that God's people would serve the law. And so the Pharisees, thinking that they're so righteous... Um, in math, back in Matthew 5.20, Jesus actually assesses their righteousness and says, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. And so there, Pharisees being some highly respected people of the time, thinking that they were doing everything right, Jesus says, no, you're not doing that right. Why? Because you, you have to be perfect. You have to exceed the, the righteousness of of the Pharisees, because the Pharisees and religion start from the outside, but Jesus starts from within. Religion mixes up our works with our faith and, and, and puts those in battle. Is it our works or is it our faith? What is it that gives us salvation? Because if they, they mix it up in, in terms of looking at the world, because in the world, while we're here in the world, how does everything work? It's by our works. How are you going to get better in your job? You're going to do more. You're going to accomplish more. You're going to make sure that you do everything that you're supposed to do. And then you're going to exceed more and then you get paid. And then how are you going to get, you know, promoted? You're going to be doing more than you should and, and really stepping up the bounds. And how are you going to exceed in life? How are you going to exceed in anything? It's all based off of your works and what we do. And religion really mixes those two up. And so we, we find a trap of religion, that we're stuck in this, this debate of whether, you know, we're supposed to be doing these things or what it is that we're supposed to do. And I really, when I heard this next quote that I'm going to tell you about, um, I was completely blown away because it, made, it just made so much sense to me. Because Jesus was completely against religion. See, Christianity is not like any religion. Because all religion says you have to do this and that, and then you achieve your righteousness. You have to go to Mecca. You have to earn your karmic merit. You have to um, do this. You have to do that in order to be able to achieve salvation. 
And Ravi Zacharias, who uh, is a Christian believer, um, is one of the most studied um, gentlemen, one of the most studied scholars in world religions. And he said this, that Hinduism, Buddhism, Sikhism, Jainism, and Islam, all of them have one common assumption in one way or another. And that's whether they be pantheistic or theistic, and that is that the means of your salvation is good works. At the keeping of a certain moral framework or certain laws or certain rules. And so the trap of religion is based on ourselves. It's through our good works that we receive salvation. Religion believes that salvation and ultimately God works the same way that the world works, just like I was saying before. A leadership expert, you guys might know his name, John C. Maxwell. He was a pastor uh, and became a leadership expert. He was quoted saying this, you will never change your life until you change something you do daily. The secret of your success is found in your daily routine. That's here on earth. Our secret of our sex, success is dependent upon our daily routine, the things that we do. And so religion gets that mixed up with the way that we should live. But the thing is, and this just blows me away, that although success on earth is boiled down to our daily actions and what we do to gain success, salvation is obtained through the completed work of Jesus on the cross. Because Jesus, right before he died, what did he say? It is finished. That all six days of creation were created in the seventh day, there was rest. And much work was to be done in order to, sal- to, to obtain salvation because Adam and Eve sinned and they fell away. And they were made imperfect. And the only way for them to be perfect is if someone perfect were to die in their place because their sin must, in a just um, situation, their sin must be paid for. And so Jesus came as a sin, sinless, uh, as, as God, Son of God. He came and he lived a sinless life and died on the cross, bearing the weight of all of our sins. And right before he died, what did he say? It is finished. The work is finished. That everything that you need to do is already done. There's nothing that you can do. There's no Jesus plus this. There's no Jesus plus that. It's not Jesus plus anything. It's just Jesus, that he already did everything that we need to do in order to receive salvation. We're not to do anything. We're just to trust the one who has already done everything for us. We trust in Jesus' work for us, which transforms us in Jesus' work, which leads us to Jesus' work through us. It's all Jesus' work. Jesus' work for us, in us, and through us. The trap of religion confuses this work with what we do. But Jesus told us that our righteousness must exceed that of the Pharisees, who did all the righteous things. And the only way we can do that is through Jesus working for us, in us, and through us. And so we continue in Matthew. So we get this idea that this religion, uh, Jesus is presented with these religious people, the Pharisees. We're getting this idea that they are, you know, whoa, Jesus, what are you doing? You're disobeying the laws. You're not, 
you know, you're serving, and the, the Pharisees have this idea that we were meant to serve the laws, not the, ser- the laws meant to serve us. And so Jesus replies to, to these Pharisees, and he says to them, Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? That those, those that who were with him entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence. Uh, the consecrated bread, which is not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. See, the, 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 the consec- consecrated bread, the bread of the presence, was 12 loaves of bread that were made as an offering to God on the Sabbath day. And so these 12 loaves of bread were made to be, to be a, a sacrifice, an offering to God. And they were only to be eaten by one group, the, the, the priests. And yet... David and his people went in and, and ate this bread, and yet they were not made guilty. And this is Jesus providing this example. And by him providing that example, he's showing that, you know, the, the, the law was not made for us to follow, in, 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 in essence, uh, but ra- rather for, for us to live by. Just like I was saying that, that we're not made, that the law was not made for us to, to do, but we were made for the law, like, excuse me, that doesn't make sense. Uh, it, basically, just saying that he moves on to the next, the, next, uh, the next example. He moves on to another example of the temple. And he says in verse 5, Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? And so according to the law, Jesus is assessing the Pharisees that, who are thinking that they have to abide by the law. And Jesus says, God made, God made allowances within the law. That the law was made for our good, not for us to be strictly following a law like religion shows us. The law was intended to serve God's people rather than God's people being intended to serve the law. And so Jesus provided these two examples of the temple in the Sabbath. And follows that with, in verse 6, I tell you something greater than the temple is here. Now when I first heard this, when I, when I was first hearing this, this phrase, I thought, where in the world did that just come from? Like, why is Jesus all of a sudden, like he's telling these examples, and then all of a sudden he's like, boom. I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. And at first it didn't make sense to me, and then I, then, then I kind of realized and started to understand the meaning of, and this just absolutely blew me away, that the meaning that, that God had put on this earth, that God had created the earth in six days, and on the seventh day he rested, that ancient Near Eastern culture believed that divine rest was an example or was, uh, was connected with temple building. And I, at first I didn't make sense of that either. I was like, okay, so divine rest temple building. I don't get it. But then it kind of started making sense that the temple was created as a place for God to dwell. And so the six days of creation were created as a place for God to dwell. That he created the heavens and the earth, the birds, the fish, and in all human creation to be able to be in communion with God, to live with God And it completely blew me away because when Jesus says, I tell you something greater than the temple is here, he's saying 
that even the earth that was made for me to dwell in, it, it separated from me. And, I, and it's really Jesus, you know, claiming to divinity, saying something greater than the temple is here. Yes, there are these rules. Yes, there are these laws. Yes, there's the temple that was created as a dwelling place for God. But the whole earth in, in the beginning was created as a dwelling place for God. And so God's ultimate purpose in redemptive history is to create a people to dwell in his presence, glorifying him through numerous varied activities and enjoying him forever. And that just blew me away when I first heard that. It just absolutely blows me away that God would create some creation to enjoy him, that we were created to enjoy God and so, we avoid falling into this trap of religion where these Pharisees um, were at. They were, they were saying that this is not what you're supposed to do on the Sabbath day. Jesus, what are you doing? This is not obeying the law when the law was, was set up for us. And we avoid that trap by what Jesus says next. In verse 7, if you had known what this means, this is Jesus' words, if you known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. And so why is he saying that? Why is he saying, if you had known what this meant, I desire mercy and not sacrifice? That's because he said it already. We look back in chapter 5, Matthew 5, and it's saying the same thing. Matthew 5, verse 20, or no, let me, let me find my place here. Matthew 9, 13, excuse me, he said, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And that is actually another quotation. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, is coming from Hosea 6, 6. It says, I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. So the word mercy is actually the Hebrew term hesed, which means steadfast love. And steadfast love, so God is desiring that relationship, just like creation, all of creation was created for that relationship, to spend eternity with God. Not that we would set up these rules and develop these religions to obtain our own salvation, but so that God would have eternity with us. And so this love would be a love leading one to care for others, to care for the sinners. Just as the rule of the Sabbath was created to give the poor and hungry food from the fields of grain. And so right here, Jesus is saying that he isn't a CEO or a boss or an organization who wants to see the work done uh, and glad to see you've performed all the tasks necessary for the job, but rather like a father who wants to develop a relationship with his children. As creation, we were all created to spend eternity with God and not to be following the strict rules, but rather have a relationship with Him. And so we avoid this trap of religion by valuing mercy over sacrifice, valuing love over condemnation, valuing eternity over everything temporary. And in verse 8, it says, it finishes up, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. See, we escape the trap of religion by remembering that it's our position in Christ 
Christ that leads to our practice. Because just as our position in a job leads to what we do and the things that we do, just as, uh, just as we carry out our normal tasks in, in, in a daily life by you know, the, the position that we have, just as any sports team, any football player, basketball player would be practicing depending on their position, so is the same thing with Christ. That by what we do, that is all fed out of who we are and where is our position. We are positioned in Christ. We escape the trap of religion by remembering that it's our position in Christ that leads to our practice. It's that position that leads to our practice just as we carry out our normal days. And so, wrapping everything up, we escape this trap of religion if we remember this one thing. Remember this one thing. Internal devotion to God, which is our faith, produces our external devotion to God, which is our works. And so we're going to enter into a time of, of works, uh, of giving, of, of praising, um, because out of our heart, our mouth speaks. And so out of our actions, it's everything that we believe on the inside. And so tonight, right now in this moment, that if your heart is in line with Jesus, if you believe and see that there was a man that came, that lived, and that died for me, that died for you, if you believe that, out of that belief, it feeds our desire to, to remember him through communion and taking of his blood and his bread in his body and also giving because Jesus gave so much to us it gives us the desire to give back and give to others because just as we saw there were many people that had many fields but they left some for the poor and the needy we in America are very very rich in terms of the world we are top 10%, just about every single American blows me away. There are so many people that are in need and, and this is that time to give back, to give God what is His, to partake in communion and to worship. So if you will, pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this evening that you've given us a relationship with your Son. God, I pray that we not make this about us and what we do but God that we remember our position is in you Lord that we believe that your son came and died on a cross was buried and risen three days later so that we may have eternal life with you how glorious that picture is and God, I just thank you for this evening that you've given us all to be together, God. And I pray that, that we would continue to pursue after you, to know who we are in you. And that would feed our desires and our works. Lord, that we remember that it is not about what we do, but what you do through us. 
God, I thank you for everything that you've given us. And I pray that as we go from this place, we would continue to share your love and share the message of who you are and what your son did for us. God, I pray all these things in your son's name, Jesus. Amen.